Welcome to the My Best Mom Friend Podcast. My name is Sandra, and I'm the virtual mom bestie you didn't know you needed. Grab a cup, make yourself comfortable, and allow me to spill the tea on motherhood. Welcome back to the My Best Mom Friend Podcast. I have some very exciting news to share. If you follow me on Instagram, you've probably already seen that I very spontaneously launched an online shop. And it is all about sensory play, sensory activities, and sensory bins for toddlers and young children. This happened sort of by accident. I created some sensory bins for my son maybe 6 to 12 months ago. And they were such a big hit with him. And I did a poll on Instagram asking if I were to sell these, if anyone would buy them. And, you know, I had a pretty good response. And my husband was like, I think you should just try it out. So I spent the last month creating a website, creating ideas for these activities, sourcing the products, trying them out. And oh my gosh, it has been the busiest month probably of my entire life because I have never launched a business before. So I really hope that you will check that out. It is mybestmomfriend.myshopify.com and I will leave the link in the show notes so you can take a peek at the four different activities I have up right now. And I am planning on changing them out every season. You know, right now we have two or three fall themed bins So I definitely want to play on the seasons and the different colors and textures of each season for your kids to explore. So in this episode, what I really want to do, and I think that if you're a toddler mom or a mom of young children, this podcast episode will benefit you even if you think you don't care about sensory play. Because I can tell you, I have learned so much and it is fascinating to me. So in today's episode, I want to get into what my mission is for these sensory activities based on what I've seen on the marketplace that already exists and how I'm trying to do things a little bit differently. And I want to talk about the different senses. I always thought that there were five different senses, but there are actually eight there are three hidden senses. And I really want to briefly talk about them because they're so incredibly important to our child's development. And it might be if your child is quote unquote shy and reserved or um, a biter, someone that hits or um, I don't know, all the different little things that we consider challenging as we're raising toddlers. I want to talk about those because those are all a part of those three hidden senses. And I think that once you understand them, you better understand your child. So let's jump in. So before I talk about the three hidden senses, I want to talk about my mission for this shop that I've launched and just my reasoning behind it. So I would say that if I had to create a mission statement, which I really haven't created yet, because like I said, I I was fast and furiously trying to source the materials for the bins, create the themes and 
get a website and e-commerce shop up and running. Um, So I would say that my mission is to foster creativity and learning through play and sensory exploration and to make your life as a mom easier because I am, after all, at my best mom friend. So my goal is to help you and create something beautiful for your child. So you can be the Pinterest mom without doing the work or breaking the bank. My big thing is I, before I ever created my own sensory bins, I would get on Etsy or Pinterest and look up sensory play. And the sensory bins that I could find were so expensive, in my opinion. And so when I just did some market research for creating price points, I was so shocked. So I can see how if you're a stay-at-home mom and you have an Etsy shop and you create these bins for some extra income or, you know, whatever it may be, if that's your, your only source of income, I can understand why they're priced at the price point they're at. However, I have a full-time job. And I don't, I don't even know how to say this. Like, I don't, I don't need this extra layer of income, but it's nice. I'm kind of doing this because it's fun for me. Like, I am very, very creative. I need a creative outlet. And this just felt really right for me in the season that I'm in and, and the level and extent to which I enjoy creating. And so, I, like I said, I, I'm trying to price these at a really reasonable price point because if you know you've been following me and you want to purchase an activity I don't want to feel like I'm robbing you you know I don't want to break the bank on some little materials right like it's not like it's anything super fancy and elaborate so when I see that these bins you know cost 35 to 45 dollars and I now know what it costs to source these materials. It like it just feels wrong. <laughs> so I am here promising you I will never charge you that much money for an activity because that's insane to me. So like my price point is between, you know, $24.99 and $26.99. And if I ever do a more elaborate bin, like yes, it may be a little bit more expensive, but I don't see how I would ever have something for you know, 40 or $50. So that is really important to me that you don't feel like I am robbing you of your money. And I, I don't want it to be messy. I, and hear me out here because sensory bins are intended to be messy. When I say I don't, I don't create them to be messy. It's that I don't use glitter. <laughs> All the sensory bins I see online, I swear they all have glitter. And I personally, as I'm, you know, putting your bins together at my house, I don't want to get glitter all over my floor and have it be stuck there for the next 10 years. And I'm sure you don't either. So I am not putting glitter in my bins. (laughs) And you get to choose the mess level. And that's the beautiful thing is that I am not currently selling the filler material that goes in the bins, like the colored rice, you know, the beans, all those things. 
because it is so much more cost effective for you to source them yourself when you're at the grocery store than me selling them to you and marking them up and you paying shipping because that's ridiculous. So will I ever sell colored rice that goes with a specific theme? Maybe, probably, I don't know. But like I said, it costs $2 for you to get corn kernels or dried beans or dried rice, things like that, um, from the grocery store than me upselling them to you at some ridiculous price. So what I do is I create an instruction guide where I also suggest what filler to use. Obviously, it's all based on age appropriate development level. So if your child is still putting everything in their mouth, you know, maybe don't put large sized beans that are dried and won't, you know, mush in their mouth, right? So a lot of that is up to your own discretion. But I do offer suggestions to make it easier. Like I said, I am trying to make this as easy as possible on you. So you have to use as little mental load for this as humanly possible. So, you know, it's really simple, right? Like you don't need some fancy bin. It does not have to be perfect. When I used to look at these sensory bin accounts on Instagram that have, you know, a million followers, every image was of this perfect Montessori playroom, all the light wood, which yes, I will admit that is how our playroom now looks. But at the time it didn't and it felt sort of intimidating. I kind of felt like if I don't have the right environment for my son, I shouldn't be buying these sensory bins. I don't know if that even makes any sense, but that was sort of my mindset. Plus, they're so expensive everywhere I've looked on Etsy. So like I said, it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to have the perfect playroom for this to work. So you can use any sort of bin, whether you have the same Ikea bins that I use in my photos and that my son uses, or you have a casserole dish, a clear bin, you know, a storage bin, or even if you have any extra um, aluminum tins, you know, under your kitchen cabinets where you take food to go, right? Like a potluck tin type of thing. (laughs) It can truly be anything. And like I said, the filler is maybe $2 depending on what you get, whether you get rice, dried beans, dried noodles. There are so many ideas. So it does not have to be perfect. And it's really great to give your child an opportunity to be messy. So like I said, I am not packing anything that is super messy. So it's truly up to you. For example, I have a Halloween bin that I've launched and in it I have a little bit of red food coloring and a clear plastic glove for you to fill up with water and add the food coloring to it and then it looks like like a red bloody glove and it's squishy and it like it's really fun to explore with your fingers and making it red just makes it more you know on theme for Halloween but if you're worried that your child might puncture it and red food dye will go everywhere, then just don't use the food dye. Just fill it up with water, and then if it pops, it pops. So that's 
up to you. And, you know, I give the suggestion of burying all of those bugs and bones I send in the Halloween bin in jello, orange or green jello, and let them dig it out. So all of that is up to you. But it is really great to encourage your child to make a mess and to explore and to teach them how we clean up and wash our hands and wipe things down afterwards. It's a really great learning opportunity, but also if your child is more sensitive to textures, then this is a really great way to explore. It's really important to give your child an opportunity for free play. It is really good for them to not have structure all the time. And it's also good to be bored sometimes because it forces them to come up with something creative to do. So kids enjoy learning and we need to give them the opportunities to learn and explore the environment around them. And they don't need anything fancy, right? Think about how often your kid played with an empty box or a toilet paper roll, things like that. It it can be so simple. It can be just things from your recycling bin that they will have so much fun playing with. Or think about all the art you can create through an empty toilet paper or paper towel roll or egg carton, for example. So like I said, you don't need anything fancy, Less is often more. And what the other thing that I created that I also think sets me apart from many of the other bins that I saw online is that I created guided activity cards, if you will. So I created an instruction sheet to give you some ideas for how to set this up for play. You know, like I said, my filler suggestions for the bin um, and just overall how to set this up and what the overall theme is. And then I created, on average, I would say two additional sheets of either task cards where I created specific tasks for your child and it's I would say all age development developmentally appropriate and so they're following these tasks and it's all you know learning it engages all of their senses it works on some early math skills like patterns and counting Um, you know, things like which is larger, which is smaller, which is longer. So some, you know, basic measurement skills, comparison, things like that. Um, But the really important thing that I do want to mention, especially if you've already grabbed one of my bins, is that it's really important to first start by not intervening. So set the bin up for your child, however you think is best. And just observe your child as they start playing. So don't offer any guidance immediately. Like these cards I created are really to be used after your child first explores on their own. Because I created these cards and then I would let my son play with his bin. You know, he's my little test bunny for all of these, which he's having so much fun with. And he plays with these activities and these materials in so many different unique ways that I didn't put on the cards and that didn't occur to me. 
So it's really good to not intervene right away because it really gives them an opportunity to, you know, have that free play, um, have independent thought and fosters creativity. And it gives you a chance to have a cup of coffee in peace. (laughs) So, you know, once they have engaged with the bin on their own, then you can introduce some of the guided questions I include that further stimulate learning and um, all of the other different activities that you can do with the objects included. So my goal was, you know, I, I also used to think, okay, I'm going to make or buy one of these bins and my son will play with it for 20 minutes and then I'm going to throw it away because he'll never want to play with it again. And that is not true. And that's what's so fascinating is that every time I give him a new bin that I'm sampling, he plays with it for a solid hour before moving on to something else. And so like lately, he has been addicted to watching Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. And him exploring and sampling these bins has been amazing to help cut down the screen time issue and bad habit we've gotten into recently. So the other thing is just like I'm sure you've heard of toy rotation in your you know your playroom or your your child's bookshelf and I do the same thing with the sensory bins. So once you have a couple of the bins either for me or you know you make your own or wherever um I tuck them back away in his playroom closet and then a couple of weeks later I pull it back out and then it's exciting and interesting and new again. And you can even make it new again the next day or the next week just by changing the filler, for example. You know, for the Halloween one, I have so many suggestions included like the jello or adding spider webs to the top of the bin and having them Um, use the pincer tongs to grab all the bugs out without breaking the spider web you know there's so many ways you can change it up the fall bin I'm selling which is flying off the shelves literally like hotcakes I highly recommend you snag it before it's gone that one for example after you play with it the way it is you know if you have any little farm animals laying around we put those in the bin and then you can hide them with the filler and have your child either scoop them out grab them out use the pincer tongs there's so many ways that you can play and when you add these accessories on as well that I'm also selling like the scoops the spoons the pincers you're working on all of these fine motor skills that are so important to develop. So you're doing so many different things at once and letting them be curious and creative and fostering independent play and thinking. And I just, I cannot express to you enough the benefits of sensory play. So like I said, my goal was to create affordable, creative, really interesting theme-based activities for your kids so that they can learn be creative and you don't have to do the work and also it won't be messy and I'm not going to charge you an arm and a leg and I created the play activities the guided cards and at least I would say for each bin six to eight 
different additional ways to use the materials so that you really get your money's worth and you don't have to reel your brain on how to reuse the materials because I did it for you. And if you and your child come up with other fun and interesting ways to play with the bins, please shoot me a DM. If you've got the bins and you want to share to your stories a photo of your child playing with it, please tag me. I would love to see the joy that it brings to your family. And like one of the ways that my son used the leaves that come with the fall kit Um, I suggested sprinkling them in the bathtub because if your child hates taking a bath, what a fun way to add fall to their bath, you know, and I, I recommend adding some cinnamon essential oils if, you know, your child doesn't have any sort of allergies against oils, different fun ways to use the materials. And like with the leaves, I suggested, you know, you can stick them to the side of the tub And then my son in the bath the other night stood up and started sticking them all over his body (laughs) because they also stuck to his skin when they were wet. So there's just so many fun ways that you can utilize the most simple and basic objects. So I really, really hope that you snag a bin and let me know if you love it. Again, that is mybestmomfriend.myshopify.com which like I said I will leave in the show notes so you can just click on the link but now I want to get into a little bit more on sensory um, from an OT I actually listened to a couple of her podcast episodes and then I got her book which is called play to progress and her name is let me see where did I write it down Allie Tickton I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but I'm hoping to have her on the podcast sometime soon so that she can dive even deeper into all of this as an OT. So let me share with you what I have learned from listening to her, which, like I said, I thought was just fascinating. One of the points that she made that I want to start with that is so interesting and why I am really strongly promoting sensory bins, whether you buy from me or you create your own. Either way, I just really think it's important to share this. So she gave the example of, say you get your child a battery-operated plastic dog, which, you know, we've all gotten or received gifts of plastic toys with batteries that light up and move and things like that for our child. And so... Your child from a very early age can learn to push the button and that if they push the button, the dog will bark or move, you know, whatever. So what happens is your child pushes the button and watches the dog move. And so now that dog, that toy is playing for your child. Your child isn't having to come up with how to use the toy and play with it. The dog is the one moving and using sound. So it, it basically makes your child, I don't want to say be lazy, but it doesn't engage all of their senses or their creativity or independent thought. So if you give your child, for example, a stuffed animal dog instead, then they're the ones that get to choose, you know, 
do I make the dog bark? So they're barking, you know, pretending to be the dog. Should I make the dog jump up and down or walk along the table or where can I take the dog with me, right? So, it, it, you know, can we build a ramp for the dog to walk up and down? Do I want to tuck him in to take a nap? There's, there's just so many things and ways that you are now playing with the toy rather than the toy playing for you, if that makes sense. And I, okay, when my son was born, I didn't even know what Montessori is or was into any of that, right? Like I was a brand new mom and I was like, yes, I want all the plastic light up toys to stimulate my child. And after a while, when he became a toddler, it was mostly that I didn't, at first it started with, I didn't like the look of the plastic toys and the sounds would overstimulate me. And so I was like, okay, let's just sort of slowly transition over to mostly wooden toys. And with time, I learned about Montessori and the benefits of it, which really has a lot to do with with sensory play. It's a lot of sensory exploration and using the environment around you. But initially, I started buying wood toys over plastic because I didn't like the vibe of the bright plastic toys with my house. I liked the look of the wood toys and that's when I changed his playroom over to be all like light wood shelves and very beige, whatever. (laughs) But now that I listened to her give this example with the dog, it makes so much sense, right? Like, I don't know. It just, it makes sense to give your kids some toys where they have to use their imagination. So, um, you know, these are like open-ended toys where you can create anything with them. Kind of like Lego blocks, right? You can make anything. You're not structured or guided to play with them a very specific way. Okay, so we have the five senses that we are all aware of, which are touch, sight, sound, smell, and taste. But the other three hidden ones that Ali mentions that I think is so fascinating is first we have proprioception, which is a sense of where we are in space. So proprioceptive input is things like pulling, pushing, climbing, lifting, any force against the muscle, um, which can be very calming and grounding activities, especially during, you know, tantrums or if they've had a long, hard day and their body is having a difficult time settling. So one example that I recently saw somewhere else, like I bought for my son from Target this weighted dinosaur stuffed animal And we've never used it. I bought it, again, just because I liked how it looked sitting there on the chair. And it never occurred to me to actually use it functionally and not just aesthetically. So last night, because he's been having such a hard time settling down at night for bed, I laid that weighted dino on him while we were reading our bedtime books to help settle his body. Because any 
pressure against your body will help calm you, which makes so much sense, of course, because we know about things like weighted blankets, but I never thought about it in terms of my son. The second hidden sense is the vestibular sense, which is our sense of movement. So this goes directly to our social, emotional health and how we perceive our own bodies. So this is, for example, the our balance or our eye position during motion, right? When you're looking back and forth from, you know, the blackboard down to your paper or from your book side to side. Um, It's just being able to steady the eye while our head is moving. It impacts our coordination and our balance. And so this is, as an actual example with, you know, a child, it's going to the park and them jumping right in versus holding back which it's apparent to me as I'm learning about this that my son's vestibular sense is not as fully developed as some of my um, friends toddlers who are a little more wild and jump right in and play and run around and scream and climb right it it has been just really really eye-opening And then the last hidden sense is interoception, which is our internal awareness. And this is a really big one for potty training, right? Because you have to have that internal awareness. So those are the three hidden senses. And now I kind of just want to talk a little bit about what she suggests and some of the other little things that she says that I think is really important to helping our child with their development. And I'm going to relate a lot of this to my own son. He is about to be three and he is the kind of toddler that does not like to get his hands dirty. He always eats with a fork. He will not just eat with his hands for the most part. Every now and then he does, but if it's really messy, you know, like some toddlers will just dig right in with their hands and some really want to use a spoon or a fork. Even when it's, you know, comes down to painting and and doing things like that, he is more likely to use a paintbrush than his fingers. And playing outside, you know, he doesn't like to get dirty. He always wants to get, you know, wiped off right away. And it's just been really interesting to see. And, you know, what she talks about is, is your child's sensory needs and development, you know, holding them back? and preventing them from doing certain things like engaging and playing with other kids or getting dressed like some kids have are very sensitive to certain you know textures and materials of clothing and different things like that or different types of food textures right so it's not that it's holding them back in the sense that they're not you know mentally developing you know that their brains aren't keeping up I think it really looks at sort of your, like like we said, social and emotional health. So, for example, when it's water day at school where they bring out the, you know, water tables and have little water splashy things, whatever it's called, um, my son won't participate because he doesn't want to get wet. And I explained to him so many times, like, baby, mommy sends an extra pair of clothes for you to that you know your teacher is going to change you into 
um, a separate pair of shoes and a towel. Like you're not going to stay wet. It will be fine. And he still doesn't engage. He doesn't want to be splashed by the other kids. And when I get the pictures from school, all the other kids are having so much fun playing together. And my son is, you know, off to the side doing something independently. And it's hard to see that sometimes. So he is being held back because of his sensory development and isn't engaging with his classmates, which means that, you know, that can potentially, you know, make it more challenging for him to make friends and enjoy school. And, you know, it's interesting now knowing more about these three hidden senses because now I feel like I know where I need to help him to better foster and develop those other sensory needs, I guess. I don't, I don't know if I'm saying this all correctly. But this is where I am now encouraging messy sensory play. Like the jello, for example, in my Halloween bin. He did not want to touch it at first. He was digging his bugs that I put in the jello out with tongs. And I was like, baby, you know, just try it. Try and get your, your fingers in there and, and get messy. Like, it's okay to get messy. We, you know, we'll clean it up. And it took him a while, but he did end up digging his fingers in. And then he actually ended up licking the jello off his fingers for the next 10 minutes. <laughs> but, you know, one of the tips if your child is very sensitive to different textures when it comes to touch is, you know, just using a popsicle stick or you know, some of the accessories that I sell to touch, you know, the sticky or ooey material or gooey material um, with some other um, object first before actually jumping in and using their fingers. And what she really talks about that's important is that you want your child, and this may sound really silly, but you want them to feel safe with this sensory input and activity. So if it feels like you're just pushing your child to be messy, then they may have this anxiety in their body that makes them never want to engage in this type of messy play. So that's where first offering, you know, that popsicle stick or some kind of a tool to dig into the ooey gooey slime or whatever it is, um, some kind of implementation tool allows them to explore it before exploring the texture with their hands. Another strategy that I clearly need to do more of is getting messy myself. So I could first dig into the jello or play at the water table and show him how much fun I'm having and reinforce that it's okay to get messy. It, you know, sometimes it feels nice to be messy and we're going to clean, you know, us off after or, You know, it can even be asking, do you want a wipe now or do you want to wait till we're done? And it gives them the option and helps them make a choice. So, you know, it's good to give them an opportunity to naturally push their own boundaries when you give them the environment and the space to versus pushing them to be messy and to get there. So... We can't engage with our environment when we're sitting in a pack and play or in one of those, you know, bouncers or walkers or in front of a TV screen, which I 
got my son when he was a baby an activity station that he could sit in and bounce in with music and lights because I thought that that was how I would stimulate him. But apparently, that is not the best way to stimulate your child in this modern day of parenting. (laughs) And this is not me making you feel bad if your kid is in a bag and play or a bouncer or in front of the TV because my son, like I said, has been spending like two-ish hours a day watching TV. Like he's literally addicted and we're currently trying to nix that because I have no idea how this happened. So this is why he's now testing out all the sensory bins and it's really, really helped cut that back down. But so what's important is to let your baby crawl around your space and explore, you know, sit them in a sandbox or let them, you know, on the carpet and and let them feel their environment rather than just sitting in a pack and play with some kind of toy that you think is a sensory toy, which it is. But now that I've learned the importance of exploring your environment, now if I could go back with my son, I would definitely do a few things differently. At the end of the day, does it make a massive difference? Probably not. <laughs> I have no idea. But I do think it's it's all pretty interesting and, and fascinating. And I do know a lot of toddlers that are in OT for sensory development. So I mean, I don't know, maybe there really is something to all of this. So some kids will get head to toe covered in mud, or, you know, eat their food with their hands and get messy, or even when they wash their hands, you know, there's some kids that get the soap all the way up to their elbows, basically, and my son keeps it all under his wrists, for example. Um, You know, and for some kids that sort of sensory input whether it's noise sight you know or touch can just be too much and then those kids retreat and so we have to really pay attention to our children when they get quiet or they move to the back of the group because all the sensory input is just too much for them and that really is my son When we go over to someone's house and there's one or two toddlers there and it's a play date and those two toddlers are more wild and and outgoing in that sense with their development, he shies away. And I think it's just too much and too overwhelming. And so the, the same thing happens at school. And so if you don't have the right teachers that can be really aware of this, then it's really easy because these kids, when they retreat, you know, they're not being disruptive or making a big fuss or a lot of noise. So it can be really easy to just kind of look over them and say, oh, yep, he's just kind of shy. But really what's happening is that they're struggling with all of the sensory input around them. It's just too much and too overwhelming. And like I said with my son, so now it can impact his friendships and his ability to play and jump in and be involved. So that has been just really interesting for me to better understand. And on the other hand, what I learned that I think is interesting if your child is maybe the opposite of mine, maybe your child is a biter or a hitter or I don't know. So what she says is that biting and hitting is a 
is proprioceptive input, but we think of it as behavior, right? Because when you're biting or you're hitting, you are putting a force against your muscle. And so, you know, for adults, that might look like a boxing class. For a child, it might be like my son will come up behind me and just squeeze my leg really hard, right? Or your child might hit or throw things. And it's important to remember that it's not a behavior. So there are different things that you can do to to help your child bring awareness to their body, create body tools and offer sort of a toolbox like fidget toys. So I learned a lot about this. And, you know, I learned about this after I created my first collection of sensory bins. So I'm planning on applying a lot of what I learned to this next round of bins like I plan on having for example a little tub of putty so that your your child is having to open and close the the small little can of putty um, which is a really great fine motor tool and I'm also going to have the putty in there because she does mention that being able to pull apart the putty or squeeze it really hard is really really good when you are when your child is throwing a tantrum or feeling antsy or angry that this can be a really great thing to have in their toolkit or as a fidget toy and it's important when we think of things like biting or hitting as a behavior to bring awareness to your child and so we don't say things like you know, maybe, maybe right now when your child is, you know, pulling on you or squeezing you too hard or something, instead of saying, you squeezed me too hard, or I don't like it when you squeeze me so hard. Instead, you can say, you know, your body squeezed me really hard. And I didn't like that very much. Maybe, you know, your body can squeeze me more gently. Because otherwise you are, you are defining them with a behavior or like he's a hitter or she's a biter, right? Like these aren't specifically behaviors. These are things that your child, like things are doing to explore their senses and their environment around them. And it could be, you know, anxiety driven or I, you know, I don't know. I'm not an expert at this. I'm just sharing some of the little tidbits that I've learned, sprinkling them around, and I will try to have an actual expert on so it's not me just regurgitating everything that I've learned. So, I feel like that was a lot. I think I'm going to end the episode here and and make this one a little bit shorter but I hope this gave you a little bit of an understanding of sensory play why it's important and our eight different senses I definitely want to talk about this more as I explore it more and as I continue to curate these activities for your kids and like I said I'm planning on adding a lot more of these Uh, materials and different ways of of playing and engaging with your senses and your muscles like pulling pushing uh, kneading you know things like that 
so that your child can get the maximum benefit from each of my activities. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode. And like I said, if you want to check out my sensory activities, there is a link below in the show notes. And I hope you'll let me know what you think. I hope you'll try them out. And yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here with me every week and for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. For more, follow along on Instagram at mybestmomfriend. I'll see you again next time.